This podcast is brought to you by Dinglemount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. verses 25 down to verse 32 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 to verse 32 the scripture says therefore putting away lying each one speak truth with his neighbor he says for we are members of one another and then verse 26 that's where the emphasis and that's the scripture that we are looking at this morning be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. He says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And then verse 29 still links up to verse 26. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then verse 31 again, still linking up to verse 36. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, he says, with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. He says, just as God in Christ also uh, forgave you. And Lord, we just ask that you bless this portion that we've read. And as we conclude the second part of this teaching, I just ask that you will help us to take home the truths uh, that will be brought out from these verses today as we seek to be more like you and to be conformed uh, to your image. In Jesus' name, Amen. So for those that weren't here two Sundays ago, uh, we started on how we can deal or handle that type of anger that the scripture calls us to put away. And the key scripture for us there was from that verse 26 where it says, Be angry and do not sin. It says, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And it's a scripture that has baffled many, especially those that want to please God in all that they do. And when we talk about sin, we know that it's something that God does not want us to get involved in. The Bible says that every unrighteousness is sin. So if I want to please God, I have to be careful in noticing or picking out those things that the Bible calls me to avoid or calls me to put away. And some of them are very obvious in the Bible, like murder, like stealing, the big ones that when we think of it, we'll say, well, that's not part of my life as a Christian. But also there are little things, those little ones that sometimes we tend to overlook. But as the scripture says, it is the little foxes that do indeed spoil the vine. So we are not neglecting those little areas, though they may look little, But the consequences that they do have on our spiritual life can indeed be great. If you remember in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel, one sacrifice was accepted, the other one wasn't. And he got so angry and upset with himself, jealousy came in, he opened the door for the devil, and we saw the consequence. It looked little, envy, jealousy, but then we saw the final consequence of what happened, or the effect of his anger. So when the Bible says, be angry, and do not sin. There's a reason why the scripture is telling us that. Not just because it will help us in our relationship with one another. But it will also help us to be conformed to the image 
of Jesus Christ. And two weeks ago, I think we tried to make the difference or to establish the difference between the type of anger that we should harbor in our hearts, if I put it that way, and the ones that the Bible calls us to get rid of. And what we did was we looked at the life of Jesus Christ, because the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus Christ was angry. At least we read two instances from Scripture where Jesus Christ was really upset. He was angry at what he saw. And the first one we read was when he walked into the temple and he saw what was going on. He took cords and made them like whips and flogged the people out of the temple. Now that is righteous anger that the Bible calls us to get involved in. When you see falsehood in the church, when you see things, injustice all around you, that should naturally get you upset and get you angry and want you to do something about it. And we also saw Jesus when he looked at the people again, when the, that man that, was, um, uh, that needed healing on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees were looking at him, asking whether he would heal him. They were more interested in their traditions rather than the man who needed healing. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ turned and looked at them with anger. And he then stretched forth his hands and healed that man. He was angry at how they could hold on to tradition so much that even the life of a man on a Sabbath day wasn't that important to them. And that's why if you read in another instance, he told them that sometimes they neglect the weightier matters. There are things that are more important to God. There are things in terms of priority that God wants us to be more interested in. And so Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior, was angry from Scripture. But at the same time, we know that from Scripture, the Bible says he had no sin. So he was able to get angry and did not sin. And that's exactly what we are looking at from this Scripture. How can I, as a Christian, express my anger? How can I be angry and yet it will not turn into sin. And that's why if you look at verse 31 where we read in Ephesians chapter 4. And that's the type of anger that we are dealing with that God is saying get rid of. He says there let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking. He says be put away from you. He says let it be put away. That means that as Christians it's not supposed to come close to us. We are not meant to harbor it. We are not meant made to to get involved as the scripture uh, tells us. So this morning I'm just going to, like I said, conclude on the second part of this message. And that is how we then can defeat, I would call it, this giant of anger that eats some people. Remember the illustration I gave us in the last sermon that we preached about the young pianist who got so angry with his performance and things weren't working well. That he literally walked back on stage with an axe and smashed up the piano, the keyboard that he was playing. Now that is anger in expression. Now for some it's not that obvious. But there is something that might be on the inside and is eating us up. It's affecting our relationship with people. It's affecting even our communion, our communication with God. And if you remember when Paul was um, writing to the Corinthian Christians in, uh, when it's time for the communion. He said they should examine themselves. Examine yourselves. How easy will it be for you as we come to the communion table and you know you're very upset and angry with someone. There is unforgiveness that you can't even look at your brother or sister in the face and you're sharing and you're drinking from the same cup or eating from the same table. We know that is very difficult and that's why anything that gets in the way of my relationship with people, the moment I can come up here and stand and speak and I can't look at your face anymore, I can't pray for you, then there is something wrong that I need to get rid of. And that is what the Bible is calling us to. Get 
rid of that type of destructive anger. That anger that is sometimes is about us, not about the kingdom of God. And in that same chapter, Paul then, writing to the Ephesian Christians, then gives them, I think roughly, I'm going to uh, give us maybe about three or so before we go into the communion. And these are the things that you see in the verse of scripture that we've read that will help us to defeat or to overcome this anger, type of anger that isn't scriptural, that God is saying, put away far from you. And the first thing that we need to do is that we as Christians, we don't have to, don't nurture, we don't have to nurture our anger. It might sound very simple, but when you go into the scripture, look at what the Bible says, look at verse 26, and that's the first thing in defeating or overcoming that type of anger that isn't scriptural. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, some have read that scripture and they've wondered what exactly is the Bible talking about. That means... From the coming out of the sun to the going down of the sun, I can get angry and do whatever. I can actually get angry and kill someone in between that. And then when the sun goes down, then everything turns okay. But that's not what the scripture is saying. What we have in this scripture is just like a figure of speech, which is an excellent way for us to assess the state of our anger. And that is where nurturing our anger comes in. In other words, the Bible is saying to us, don't nurse it. You can get angry. But the question is, how long does that anger linger in your heart and in your spirit and in your heart to the point that it begins to affect everything else that you do? As some of us might put it in practical terms, we might say, don't sleep over your anger. For those that are married in this room, I'm sure that some of us, is something that maybe you practice. I practice this all the time. That there is nothing that happens in the house or maybe me and my wife, we've had a little conversation or we've tried to reason about something and we allow it to go over to the next day. We don't let that happen. And I think that for those who are married there, that is something that most will always do. You don't go to bed angry. You don't go to bed and then slept over the same thing. And then early in the morning, you raise the same thing and it's still eating you up. You try as much as you possible to resolve it. And that's what we are talking about here. Do not let the sun go down, no matter what it is, no matter how angry you get, no matter what is happening around you, do not let the sun go down. And the reason why the Bible is very serious about what it's asking us to do, not to let the sun go down on our anger, is that anger easily turns into resentment. Once we get angry, as the scripture is showing us, and that's why when you read the next few verses, you see the product, what comes out of anger. Once we get angry, what happens is that it turns into resentment. We begin to resent the person towards whom we are, who is the object of our anger. And not just that, from turning into resentment, it then turns into bitterness. We become bitter in our hearts. And we can sense that bitterness eating us up on the inside. And then from bitterness, what happens? Unforgiveness. So you can see the progression. You've just gotten angry. It looks little. Nothing is wrong. I'm angry. But then you've nursed your anger. You've nurtured it from morning or from whenever you got angry. And it has lingered on. And then it has turned into resentment in your heart. It's turned into bitterness. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself in unforgiveness. And once you have that unforgiveness, what happens? You have a defiled conscience. You can't even talk to God the way you should. You can't even relate to the person the way you should. Just like we saw in the story of Cain and Abel, 
It was something little, but it turned into something else. And then he didn't deal with it, it turned into something else. And eventually he ended up killing his brother. Do not nurture your anger. That's what the scripture is saying when he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What we need to be doing is releasing our anger by confessing it to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with us as Christians going to the Lord in prayer. Even before we start praying and telling him, this is exactly how I feel. Somebody was telling me, this was on Friday, that they got so angry with someone that they actually felt, and that was the phrase, they felt like punching their lights out. And you know, when somebody gets angry, and they're being honest, and the person said, I just got home and I had to talk to God about it. And I think that that's a great deal of honesty. You can talk to God about anything. No matter how angry you get, you can speak to the Lord about it. And that is when that forgiveness comes in. That, that is when you can have that conscience, easy, easy conscience, to speak to your God. So let it be a reminder for each one of us that for us to defeat this anger we are talking about, we need to start by not nurturing or nursing that anger until it becomes full-blown unforgiveness in our hearts. And the second thing that we need to be thinking about as well, as we look at ways that we can overcome or deal with an unrighteous anger, is that we don't have to, when I mean rehearse our anger. Now, you might wonder what exactly does that mean? Yes, we know that I'm not supposed to nurture it or let it linger so long in my heart, but we don't have to rehearse it. By rehearsing it, we are simply talking about telling others how angry we have been. We know that for those in the music group, or like Richard who plays the piano, he, he goes through what we call a rehearsal. And what a rehearsal does is that the more he plays, the more he spends time doing it over and over and over, it becomes part of him. He learns the keys more. He becomes more fluent in his playing. And the same thing sometimes, that's what we do with anger. We get angry, but then we begin to rehearse our anger. What happens? It goes from our hearts comes over to our mouth, and we begin to tell everybody how angry we are. We don't just talk about it once, we talk about it twice, we talk about it uh, maybe the whole month. This is how angry you've made me. This is how angry I have become. And that's why there's a relationship, if you look at these verses of scripture, between what we have in our hearts and what comes out of our mouth. Look at that scripture again in verse 29. After it has said in verse 26, be angry and do not sin, Look at verse 29. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. They're all linked, one after the other. We talk about it. It happens in our hearts. But then it goes from unforgiveness, like I said, and then begins to find expression. And the more we talk about it, the more we say, look at what has happened. The more we keep talking about it over and over and over and over again. What we're actually doing is not just are we nursing and nurturing that anger, but we are letting that anger control everything about us. There's this man known as Henry, Henry Bath, and I love what this man said, and that was very, very interesting. He's a quote, and I had to write this down. He says that sometimes people can say that you make me so angry. But listen to what he says. He says that isn't true, because nobody can make you as angry more than you want to be. And that shows that some, we are in control of our emotions. I can decide to get angry. And I can blame you for making me angry. Just like Cain and Abel, his brother, one accepted, one wasn't accepted. And he can say, oh God, you are the one that made me angry. Why did you accept his gift and you didn't accept mine? 
Or why did you bless him and you didn't bless me? Or why is everybody succeeding and I'm not succeeding? And then we begin to get angry, upset at God, upset at our neighbors, upset about everything around us. But in truth, no one can make you angry. Yes, there might be things that could cause you to get angry, but in reality, nobody can get you to a point where that anger begins to have a devastating effect on your life. And I think that's what he was trying to get across in that quote. So when we as Christians begin to rehearse and verbalize our anger to other people, we are simply confirming it. We are making the convictions deeper in our hearts. What we are saying to ourselves is, yes, I know that anger isn't good, but I'm not going to let it go. I want it to control every thought that I think. I want it to control every speech that comes out of my mouth. I want it to control all of my actions. And that's what we are doing. And like I said, like Richard who plays the piano, rehearsing all the time and getting better. When we rehearse our anger, what we do simply is that we are getting better at expressing our anger. We are getting better in harboring that anger. We simply get better in unforgiveness and not letting the Spirit of God walk through us and cleanse our hearts. And that's why if you look at that scripture again, look at verse 29 again, where it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But then he says, but what is good for necessary edification? And what does he do? He says that it may impart grace to the hearers. You see, that's talking about communication. Because once we harbor that anger and we are constantly talking about it, how can it edify anyone? Have you ever had a friend or someone that you walked up to and all they talk about is the offense and the things that's happened to them and how they are not happy about everything around them? How would that edify you as a Christian? You're not going to be edified. But you want to meet with Christians who will edify. When they open their mouth to speak, they speak of forgiveness. When they open their mouth, they talk about what God has done for them. How Jesus Christ forgave them of their sins. How he's washed them. How he's brought them to a place where they know that without God, they are nothing. And so not only does the scripture call us not to nurture the anger that we have, but also we don't rehearse that anger that we do have sometimes. We don't rehearse them. And then there's a fourth thing that we need to also do, the third thing rather. Look at verse 31, and this is very, very important. In verse 31, he says there, let all bitterness, he says, wrath, anger, clamor. You can see that the scripture is still linking up to verse 26. He says, an evil speaking, he says, be put away with all malice. Now, what does that scripture tell us? It's telling us something else. That not only are we not to nurture it, not only are we meant to not to rehearse it, but also we are not supposed to spread our anger or disperse it, if I should put it that way. And that's why he says there, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, let it be put away. And that is what we are saying. Sinful anger is just one of the numbers of, no, sinful behaviors that is not to proceed from the Christian life. And that's why the Bible is saying, don't let it spread from your life. If there's anything that is meant to come out of our lives, it has to be love. It has to be those virtues that the scripture speaks about in Galatians. And not this type of anger that destroys. And that's why he says there, let all, no matter the type of bitterness it is. Because sometimes when we talk about bitterness, we say, well, someone wronged me and it's not my fault. And because it's their fault, I have a right to get angry and I have a right not to forgive them. 
He says wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. He says be put away from you. You see how one gives rise to the other. The Bible is saying, don't let this thing come out of your life. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. No matter what it takes to deal with it, for some it's a lot easier than for others. But the Bible is saying to us, let all of it be completely put away. And I think that sometimes when as Christians we get angry, I see there's nothing more than a sophisticated version of a temper tantrum. You know, because we haven't really gotten what we want. It's just like a child. When a child doesn't get what the child wants, starts screaming and crying. I mean, I know that in the house because of the little boys that I've got. And sometimes, this is another version for Christians. They are not throwing temper tantrums like kids, but because things haven't gone the way they want it to go, either with God or with their fellow humans, and then you see them venting out this anger, venting out this frustration, that then spreads and affects everybody around them. And that's why we need to constantly look inwards and ask ourselves that question. What exactly am I spreading? Am I spreading love? Am I spreading faith? Am I spreading grace? Am I spreading the words that should edify? And once you notice that what's coming out of your heart isn't building anybody up, isn't encouraging, isn't what the scripture calls us to be involved in, then we need to consciously begin to deal with it. And then look at verse 32. And I love how the scripture ends in verse 32. And this is one of the things again we need to do in defeating that type of anger. And he says, and be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. You see how he brings in forgiveness again in that scripture. He says, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now what is God saying there in that verse of scripture? He says, do, now this is the time for you to now reverse your anger. So not only are we saying don't spread it, but there's something you can do. And that's why he's saying he's told us what the anger is, how we can identify it, what we are supposed to do about it. And then he ends by saying you truly can reverse that anger. You can turn it around. And that is why he says, and be. In other words, remember from verse 26, it starts with be. For those of us who are very observant. Be angry and do not sin. And then he ends it in verse 32 by saying now be kind to one another in other words there's a reversal going on there that you can do instead of being angry and then sinning against god you truly can reverse your anger and for some it might simply be going to the person towards whom you've directed that anger and ministering to that person not always easy i must confess if you go to romans chapter 12 and i'll close with that verse of scripture in Romans chapter 12, there is a popular verse of scripture and sometimes is open to misinterpretation. But I want to show you in Romans chapter 12, look at verse um, 20 of Romans chapter 12. And this is one of the ways that truly you can reverse your anger. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 20. It says there, therefore, we know that this is a quote uh, from book of Proverbs 25 but the Bible, Paul here repeats it in Romans, he says therefore if your enemy hungers feed him, we know we get angry with our enemies don't we if he thirsts he says give him a drink for in so doing, what are you doing he says you will heap coals of fire on his head that is reversing your anger if your enemy we don't want to pray for our enemies they offend us they step on our toes. They, they get us angry. 
If there is something we want, humanly speaking, we don't want to see them. But when you are doing something different according to the scripture, you are now reversing the whole process. If your enemy hungers, he says, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you are heaping coals of fire on his head. Now, that is the part of scripture that has been misunderstood for some. And they read it and say, but how, what does he mean, I'm heaping coals of fire? Is that a sign of punishment? You know, I'm doing good to him, but at the same time, it's like I'm punishing him. Or uh, how exactly am I meant to understand uh, that verse of scripture? But actually, that imagery that you have there is gotten from, or that expression, heaping coals of fire, actually grew up grew out of an old Egyptian custom. Because what you have at the time is very simple. Because when a person has done something wrong, and this is very, very important, in order for them to express their contrition and shame over what they've done, what they do then is they carry hot coals are placed in a pan, and they carry it on their head to express the burning shame within their heart. And so in the same way that the Bible is saying here, for in so doing you heap coals of fire upon their head, what he's saying is that when you show them that love, when you show them that you are forgiven, when you show them that though you have a right to be angry, but you've chosen to forgive them, in the same way in that picture that you have of that man who is repentant and filled with shame, carrying coals of fire on his head from the Egyptian custom, that is exactly what you're doing to the person. So in his heart, it's more or less like repentance is taking place. He's ashamed over what he's done. His heart is being melted by the love that you are showing to him. Not that you're heaping coals of fire on his head, that God is punishing him, and that God is raining down fire from heaven upon the person whom had wronged you. But you get the picture of what Paul is trying to say. Feed your enemy. If they are thirsty, give them, give them something to drink. As you do that, your good deeds, what you are doing, the love that you are showing, will in turn begin to melt their hearts. They will come to a point where literally they become ashamed of what they are doing. And that can, can lead to great repentance. And I think that if we as Christians sometimes can go a little bit deeper, or take, go the extra mile in doing what the scripture calls us to do, which is not always easy. We know that's not always easy. Because that's why if you read the story in the Bible, the scribes and the Pharisees, when they came to Jesus, and I think also Peter asked that question, how many times will my brother sin against me and I'll forgive him? And we know what Jesus Christ told him. Seventy times, how many numbers? If you multiply that, what Jesus is saying is, let forgiveness be a lifestyle. Don't hold anything against anybody. Remember when we started this series, I told us that anger is just like acid. That it does more harm to the vessel in which it is poured in than the person in which it is poured on. And that is something we need to realize. When I harbor it, it is doing more damage to my heart. Even more than the person that I'm expressing that anger uh, towards. And I pray that God, in his mercy, will help us to defeat this giant of anger in our lives as we walk uh, with him. Shall we just bow our hearts as we uh, reflect on the fruit of this word this morning? We can reverse our anger. We don't have to spread it. We don't have to nurture it. We don't have to let it find expression in our mouth. And sometimes, like we said, it's so easy to say, well, you made me do it. I, don't have, I haven't got any choice. 
But the scripture calls us to be kind to one another, affectionate, tender hearted. That's the reversal process. And maybe some this morning, that's what we need to do. When you think of people that have wronged you, or have spoke, said things about you that aren't true, you can sense that anger, malice growing from your heart. And that's why as we've come to the communion table, you cannot partake of this communion if you're harboring anger, malice, unforgiveness in your heart. The Bible calls us to examine our hearts. We are called to forgive and let go. We are called to even pray for our enemies. Feed them if they are hungry. That's not easy to do and we ask for grace. The grace that helps us not to easily take offense. But that grace that bears all things. That grace that sustains our walk with God. And as we do that, you can just um, reflect in your heart as I'm John and I'm going to If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.